So a few years ago, uh, here in Abu Dhabi, I was talking to a, a young lady who had been here for a little while and was part of our church, and she was called to go back to her home country. And so I asked her, tell me about what it was like for you being here spiritually, what, what happened in your spiritual life. And she told me that, unfortunately, at first when she got here, from being around people who were devoted to so many different religions, over time that started to make her think that maybe all religions are basically teaching the same thing, right? And, and all religious leaders are basically the same. So Jesus is really, I mean, is he different from Mohammed or from, from Buddha? And she started going down, down that path a bit. But she said that then as a result of her home group dialoguing with her and the, the teaching that she was getting from the scriptures, she woke up to the fact that that was not true. That was the wrong road to be going on. And she started to see who Jesus really was and is. She saw, she said, more clearly than ever before that Jesus is the Messiah, promised in the Old Testament, fully man and fully God, our only Savior. And she said that she went back home stronger spiritually than when she came. Now, the reason I mention that is because the danger that she started to drift into is a danger that we can all experience here living in this country. It's a common danger. We can start to think that, I mean, aren't all religions basically teaching the same thing? And aren't all religious leaders basically the same? And so this afternoon, God wants to use his word to help us see, maybe more clearly than ever before, who Jesus Christ was and who he is. Luke chapter 20, verses 41 through 47, is the passage we're going to be looking at. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know that over these last couple of paragraphs, Jesus has been barraged with questions from the Jewish religious leaders as they were trying to trip him up in his answers, trying to get him to say something that would get him in trouble with the government officials as they were trying to prove him wrong in the things that he was teaching. But Jesus answered all of their questions with such wisdom and such indisputable evidence that they were silenced. They stopped asking questions. And now in the next paragraph, which we'll be looking at this afternoon, Jesus turns the tables and he asks them a question, a crucial, life-changing question for Jewish religious leaders. Let's read Luke chapter 20, verses 41 through 47, and look at what happens. Verse 41, but he, Jesus, said to them, the Jewish religious leaders, how can they say, these leaders, that the Christ, the Messiah, is David's son. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, and now 
Jesus quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1. So David himself says in the book of Psalms, quote, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then Jesus goes on, David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So what's going on here? Remember, Jesus had been barraged with questions. He answered every question decisively so that the questions stopped, and now Jesus turns the tables and asks the religious leaders, the scribes, a question. So what question is Jesus asking the scribes? The answer is in verse 41. Let's read it again. Here's the question. But he, Jesus, said to them, the scribes, how can they, the Jewish religious leaders, how can they say that the Christ, the Messiah, is David's son. So Jesus is saying, how can the Jewish religious leaders say that the Messiah is, is David's son? Now, all the Jewish religious leaders knew that the Old Testament scriptures taught that the Messiah would be the son of David. In the lineage of David, the offspring of David. He would be a human king in the line of David. All the Jewish religious leaders knew that, and they were right. And let me show you two scriptures from the Old Testament, just so that you can see. These are the kind of passages that the Jewish religious leaders would have looked at, which show that the Messiah would be in the line of David. Look at Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, first of all. The prophet Jeremiah prophesies. This is, prophesies. This is hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, in the line of David, a righteous branch, and he, this righteous branch, shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness." So Jeremiah prophesies that the Messiah will be a righteous branch who will rule as king. Judah, Israel will be saved, and he will be our righteousness. This is an amazing scripture. But notice also, he will be raised up for David, which means he will be a physical descendant in the line of David, a human king in the line of David. That's the first scripture which shows that. Second one, Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. This is powerful. This is Isaiah prophesying. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his, Jesse's roots, shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, and understanding, able to answer scribes' questions. 
the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the Messiah is going to be powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit. But notice also, the Messiah will be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, who's Jesse? David's father, right? Again, a king in the line of David. The Messiah would be a branch from Jesse's roots, born in the line of King David. So the religious leaders were right to say that the Messiah would be David's son. They were right to understand that the Messiah would be fully man, born as an offspring of of David. But the problem was that they concluded that he would just be a man. That's all he would be, that he would just be a man. They didn't understand that the Messiah would also be not just fully man, but fully God. That's what they did not understand. And that means the Jewish religious leaders were missing a massive part of who the Messiah would be. He is a man, yes, born with a human nature, human body, sinless, but a man, but not just a man. He was also fully God. So they were missing a massive part of who the Messiah was. And so what Jesus is asking them here is, how can the religious leaders say that the Messiah is just the son of David, just a man? And the reason they should not say the Messiah was just a man is because of what David said in Psalm 110, verse 1. This is an amazing passage. This verse, Psalm 110, verse 1, is the most frequently quoted verse that's quoted in the New Testament from the Old Testament. Over 27 times, I believe, either explicitly or by allusion. Psalm 110, verse 1. So let's read this, starting with verse 41 again. Just start to wrap your... This is not an easy passage to understand. Start to kind of wrap your mind around it. Verse 41, he, Jesus, said to them, how can they say that the Christ, the Messiah, is David's son, is just David's son? For David himself says in the book of the Psalms, now here's David talking in Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? So David is here calling the Messiah Lord. So if he's calling him Lord, how is the Messiah also his son? That's the question Jesus wants them to be wrestling with. And this is an exact quote from Psalm 110, verse 1, written a thousand years before Jesus was born. Now, David starts by saying, the Lord. He says, the Lord said to my Lord. The Lord is a reference to God. So David here is talking about God. And what does he say about God? Verse 42, he says, the Lord God said to my Lord. So here's David, King David, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord God said to my Lord. Who's David's Lord? It's puzzling. David was the king of Israel. He was king. 
the monarch, superior. There was no human being who was his Lord. He was the human Lord over all the people in Jerusalem, people in Israel. So who was David's Lord? Who is he talking about here? To see this, read verse 41, starting there again. And I want you to see that he's saying, the Lord God said to my Lord, and he's talking about the Messiah. Verse 41, start there again. When we read verses 41 to 44 carefully, we can see that David's Lord is the Messiah. Verse 41, he said to them, how can they, the religious leaders, say that the Christ, the Messiah, is David's son? So Jesus is talking about the Messiah here. Verse 42, how can they say that? Because David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then Jesus concludes, David thus calls him, the Christ, the Messiah, Lord. David's calling the Messiah Lord, Jesus says. So how is he his son? So in Psalm 110, verse 1, Jesus is telling us that David is calling the Messiah his Lord. He's saying, the Lord God is saying to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So here's the million-dollar or million-durham question, okay? What does it mean that the Messiah is David's Lord? What does that mean? That's what Jesus wants the religious leaders and us to be thinking about. I want to make sure you can see that's exactly what David is saying. So I want to read these verses again, because I, I don't want you just to take my word for this. I want you to be able to see this in the text. So the light will go on. There it is. So that you could explain this to a, a friend in your neighborhood tomorrow or somebody at the workplace during lunch. So let me read verses 41 to 44 again and see how Jesus is saying that David is saying that the Messiah, that the Messiah is David's Lord. Verse 41, but he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord God said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him, the Christ, the Messiah, Lord. So how is he his son? That's why it's wrong for the religious leaders to say that the Messiah is just David's son. It's because the Messiah is also David's Lord. And what does that mean? One of my first questions was, isn't God David's Lord? Absolutely. God is David's Lord. That's what David says. The Lord said. But David also says that the Messiah is his Lord. He says, the Lord God said to my Lord the Messiah, what does that mean? Can David have two lords? The answer is no. Remember what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. Masters is the exact same word for Lord here. It's the Greek word kurios. No one can have two lords. So then, how can David have both God as his Lord and the Messiah as his Lord? Here's why. It's because the Messiah is fully God. 
put your thinking caps on. So my mom used to tell us, put your thinking caps on here. Remember, the Bible teaches that God is, there's one God in three persons. So important for us to keep that in mind. There is one God in three persons. Not three gods. One God in three persons. There's God, the Father, God, the Son, the Messiah, and God, the Holy Spirit. There's mystery here. But what that means, when David says that he has God the Father as his Lord, and also the Messiah, the Christ, as his Lord, he's not saying he has two different lords. He has one Lord because God is one God in three persons. God the Father and God the Son are one as God. So here's what's going on. Jesus is showing the religious leaders. Through this verse, Psalm 110, that the Messiah must not just be David's son. He's not just David's son, fully man. He is that, but he's not just that. He's also David's Lord, fully God. He's David's son, and he's David's Lord. He's fully man, and he's fully God. David wants to show them that the Old Testament doesn't just teach that the Messiah would be David's son, fully man. The Old Testament also teaches that the Messiah will be fully God, David's Lord. This is crucial for us to understand this. This is a rock-solid, foundational part of the Christian life. If If you are not clear in Jesus, the Messiah being both fully man and fully God, your foundation is going to be shaky. So let me give you one more verse from the Old Testament to back this up. Here's another verse where the Old Testament teaches that the Messiah would be fully man and fully God. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is an amazing scripture. Look at this. Isaiah prophesies, For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the Messiah will be fully man, right? He's born as a child. He's given as a son. He'll be fully man, but he will also be fully God. His name will be Mighty God. That's God, right? So Jesus asks the scribes, how can people think that the Christ is just David's son when Psalm 110 verse 1 shows that the Messiah is also David's Lord? He wants them to think about this. He wants them to ponder this. He wants them to open up the Bible and wrestle with this question in their scriptures. Because if they are honest with what the Old Testament teaches, it'll become clear to them that the Messiah, when he comes, will be, yes, fully man, but also fully God. Now, you might be wondering, what does that have to do with Jesus? And it has everything to do with Jesus. Because Jesus is the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. Let me show you why that's true. First of all, Jesus fulfilled prophecies that the Old Testament gave about the Messiah. One example, 
I already said, born in the line of David. Jesus was born in the line of David. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, this little village of Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and the list just goes on and on. So Jesus fulfilled prophecy after prophecy that the Old Testament said would be true about the Messiah. And not only that, Jesus himself explicitly said that he was the Messiah. Look at Mark 14, 61 through 62. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He'd been arrested, been beaten. He's being questioned. Mark 14, 61 through 62. He remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ? That word Christ means Messiah. Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed, the Son of God? And Jesus said, I am. (laughs) You feel that? I am man. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Psalm 110 verse 1. Seated at my right hand until I conquer all your enemies. And coming with the clouds of heaven. Okay, let's put all this together now. The Old Testament taught that God would be sending the Messiah, the Christ, to earth. Who would be fully man and fully God. And in great compassion, the Old Testament taught that the Messiah would be punished for the sins of everyone who will put their trust in him, so that those who trust the Messiah will be completely forgiven for all of their sins and be reconciled to God. They're all satisfying joy forever and ever. That's what the Old Testament taught. That's who the Messiah is, and Jesus fulfilled the prophecies about the Messiah, and he said that he was the Messiah, so Jesus is the Messiah. Fully God, fully man. Think about it like this. God has come to the earth in the person of Jesus. And in Jesus, God became a man, identifying with us. And at such great cost, dying on the cross, being punished in our place for our sins so that you could be forgiven. He's, he's, he paid for all the sins of everybody who will trust him. Are you trusting Jesus? That's the question. In your heart of hearts, are you trusting Jesus Christ? So are all religious leaders the same? No, they're not all the same. There's only one Messiah There's only one sacrifice for our sins. There's only one Savior. It's Jesus Christ, the Messiah sent by God. All religious leaders are not the same. All religions do not teach the same thing. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can come to the Father except having your sins be forgiven through through me. So Jesus is the Messiah foretold in the Old Testament, fully God, fully man. Jesus is the Savior. He is the only Savior. That brings us to the next section in this passage. What does Jesus say next? Notice the setting, which Luke emphasizes in verse 45. He says, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples. 
So everybody's going to be hearing what he says, but maybe his disciples are like sitting right down here. He's, he's talking to his disciples they're right here. There's Matthew, right? There's John, there's Peter right there. Everybody's listening, but he's directing his words to the disciples. And look at what he says, starting in verse 46. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Beware of them. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus is saying to his followers, beware of what the scribes do because that can happen to you as well. And they will face a greater condemnation. Beware. Beware. In other words, we followers of Jesus can become just like the scribes here. In six ways, Jesus mentioned, six specifics. First, the scribes like to walk around in long robes. It sounds like most men in that culture didn't have floor-length robes. It would be a little hard to you know, do your work and stuff. So it, it, it was shorter than floor-length, but the scribes had these floor-length very elaborate, very expensive robes that drew attention to them so that when they walked through the marketplace with these long robes, there goes a scribe. And they, they loved having that sense, I'm being noticed. People are recognizing who I am. They loved walking around in those long robes. This is a problem of pride. Can, can you see that? There's pride there. Second, they love greetings in the marketplaces. Third, they love the best seats in the synagogues. Fourth, they love the places of honor at feasts. These all show this pride issue. They loved being noticed. They loved being made much of. They loved being fawned over. This is a problem of pride. And Jesus says to us, beware. We can all fall into this. Fifth, they devoured widows' houses. Commentators aren't exactly sure what this meant, but one very possible scenario is that the wealthy scribes would loan money to poor widows at exorbitant interest rates, and then when they weren't able to pay back, they took their houses. They devoured widows' houses, oppressing poor people. When this, this shows love of money and greed. So it's not just a pride problem. There's also a greed problem, which the scribes fell into and which we can all face, right? Then sixth, for a pretense, they made long prayers. So they publicly and intentionally prayed long prayers, long, one minute, three minutes, long, long prayers, but one of their eyes was open to see people hearing me, people noticing this is a really long one. You catching that? They weren't praying long because they loved God so much or because they were so longing that God would help this person or that person. They weren't swept up in the presence of God and worshiping and loving Him. God was not in their picture. People were in their picture. Are you seeing this? I am a very religious person. Are you catching this? That's what's going on for pretense. So there's pride, and there's greed, and there's hypocrisy. 
hypocrisy, pretending like you're talking to God when you're trying to impress other people. It's hypocrisy. The scribes had fallen into this, and Jesus warns us not to be like them. We can fall into this. So let me ask you some questions. Do we seek the pleasure of being noticed by others? Do we? None of us are immune to this. I'm not. You're not. Secondly, do we neglect the poor, oppress the poor because we love money? None of us are immune to that either. Third, do we do spiritual activity not to meet God, but to impress other people? We're not immune to that either. If we're honest, and I want you to be honest, we all are tempted in terms of pride and greed and hypocrisy from time to time. We all are. So, how can we overcome these, resist these, fight back against these? And as I looked at this passage in these two sections here, I think the answer is, can be seen when we put these two passages together. So here's a picture I, I did of the passage. Luke 20, verses 41 to 47. Here's what I think is going on. Verses 41 to 44. Jesus is saying, when we behold the glory of the Messiah as fully man and fully God, when we, just like we sang earlier in worship, when we behold him, the glory of the Messiah, fully man, Amazing. God becomes a man. And fully God. It's God who's become man. When that happens, we will be, verses 45 through 47, freed from pride and greed and hypocrisy. It's very important to understand the Bible does not tell us that the way we fight sin is by gritting our teeth and trying harder. I've got to stop being so proud. It just doesn't work that way. Stop loving money. I mean, you can grit as hard as you want, and nothing's going to change down here except to get a very sore jaw, right? Just nothing's going to change. That's not how we battle sin. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's how we get changed. Beholding the glory of the Lord, verses 41 to 44, transforms us It'll crush your pride. It'll free you from greed. It'll deliver you from hypocrisy. So let's try that right now. Let's behold Jesus as he's described himself to us in verses 41 to 44. Jesus, think about this, he is fully God. He's always been from eternity past with the Father and the Spirit, God the Father, God the Spirit, He's God the Son. He's always been with the Father and the, Son, and the Spirit from eternity past with no beginning. God. He's God. It's our Jesus. God. He is fully sovereign over everything. He controls what every cell in the universe does. What every political leader does. Every cell in your body does. He controls everything. He's absolutely sovereign. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. He's flawless in knowledge and wisdom. 
and overflowing in joy in the fellowship of the Trinity from eternity past with no beginning. That's, that's our Jesus, fully God. You see that. You feel that. And in amazing love and mercy, Jesus, Son of God, fully God, humbled himself, lowered himself to become a man, took on human nature, took on human body, was born as a baby, laid in a manger. This is the Messiah. This is God in the flesh, in Mary's arms, humbled himself to that point, and he showed us who God is. He grew up. We saw God in the flesh. Think about when Jesus healed the paralytic. Remember the man who'd been lowered down through the roof? And before healing him, Jesus says, Son, your sins. Plural. I love that. Plural. Your sins. Not just one, but your sins are forgiven. That's, that's our God. God in the flesh forgiving sins. Jesus touches an unclean leper. Lepers were unclean, outcasts of society. Jesus touches this leper. Whoa! And his skin is transformed, restored. Jesus was with, in a boat with his disciples who were veteran fishermen, had, it, had endured dozens of massive storms in the Sea of Galilee, and this storm is so big, they are all frightened. And Jesus says, Storm, be still, and it stops. This is our God. This is our Messiah. This is our Jesus. And he taught with such wisdom and authority, and his words give us life. So we see in Jesus God in the flesh. And then he went to the cross. Behold him. He went to the cross. That shameful form of death and that horrifying form of execution. And he did this to pay for the sins of us sinners who deserve the cross forever. And he took it on himself and he paid for the sins of all who will trust him, us sinners. So we've talked about Jesus being God and Jesus being man, fully God, fully man. And when we behold him, that will start to transform us. That's how we change. It will crush your pride when you see Jesus fully God, fully man on the cross. You'll think, that's what I deserve. That's what I am worthy of. That's what justice would bring me, is punishment forever. So how can I seek praise from anyone when all the praise belongs to my Savior. All the praise, every millimeter of praise in the universe focuses on Him. So if all the praise is going to Him, how much praise should I get? None. No, and I'm not alone. Okay, This is all of us. All praise to Jesus Christ. All glory to Him. When we see Him in His glory... I cannot try to have other people try to be impressed with me. Are you kidding me? I know me. And I've seen him. Look at him. That'll destroy pride when you behold Jesus. It'll overcome your greed. The joy that you feel 
that you experience when you're in the presence of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, worshiping your fully God, fully man, Savior. The joy of worshiping Jesus Christ, knowing him, trusting him, makes the joys of money look like nothing. And that's an overstatement. Nothing in comparison. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And oh, feasting on Jesus Christ is, makes it clear that the joys of money are nothing, or what money can buy, nothing in comparison. And knowing that he is going to take care of you financially for the rest of your life, which he's promised to do, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be provided to you, frees you then, not just to not oppress the poor, but to be generous to the poor and the needy. So beholding Jesus will free you from greed, and then it'll also free you from hypocrisy. When you are seeing Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, and you're talking with him, and you're worshiping him, and you're loving him, you aren't going to care who's noticing that you're talking to him, and worshiping him, and loving him. Because you have him! That will destroy hypocrisy. And that's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. But again, see, pride and greed and hypocrisy are destroyed by beholding Jesus. We're not immune from them. When we experience them, I guarantee it, it's because we've stopped beholding Jesus. But the answer is beholding Jesus, fully man and fully God. So brothers and sisters, behold Jesus. Are you getting time every day opening up the scriptures feasting on Jesus Christ, your Savior, worshiping him, learning about him, studying him, talking with him, pouring your soul out before him, asking for his help, adoring him, loving him. As you do that, you will be set free from pride. You'll be set free from greed. You'll be set free from hypocrisy. Behold him. Let's pray. We fall at your feet, Jesus, like Thomas did, and say, my Lord and my God, we worship you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your mercy. Help us see you more, behold you more, love you more, worship you more, and we praise you that when we do, sin's power is broken, and we are freed. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.